Welcome, everyone, to episode 221 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton. And later on in this week's episode, we'll be talking about all the nominations for this year's Academy Awards. Well, maybe not all, to be fair. But first, we'll have a review of Missing, a standalone sequel to Some Like It, Scott's number one movie of 2018. Before we get to that, though, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's good to be back. We took uh, a week off after our uh, gargantuan uh, top 10 of the year episode. Hope people yeah. have been listening to that and enjoying it. Uh, we had a fun time putting it together, obviously. Um, but yeah, we're back. It's been a, a big movie week, as you alluded to, the uh, the Oscar nominations coming out, which we're going to talk about in part two. Obviously, we have a lot of thoughts. We always do uh, this time of year when these nominations come out um, and yeah, some interesting things to discuss. But also, it was the uh, the week of the Sundance Virtual uh, Festival, which has become an annual thing for us now, Scott, for the last three years um, since they started it in COVID. Um, and, you know, I ended up getting seven movies. I still have one more left to watch. I think you were around to the same number. Um, I got 10 at the end of the day after I took I picked up Beyond Utopia. Uh, yeah. Towards the end, I got 10. Um, and we're going to talk about those, I believe, next week. Uh, we're going to sort of give a little uh, basic, you know, rundown and recap of of the ones that we watched and what to to watch and what to avoid, um, because there, as with you know the Sundances that we've had, there are you know great movies and there are some that are really quite yeah. quite bad. And did you go to Sundance if you that, didn't catch a movie that was bad? Is is the real question that will end up in your bottom five of the year? I think that's probably <laughs> true of the last two years and. I sure. think it'll probably be true of this year as well. Um, I've seen two movies that are movie. that I already would not be surprised if yeah. they. Well, I didn't fin I didn't finish bottom. one of them, so I can't count that. Uh, but sure. one that I did finish was also very bad. But uh, yeah. Yeah. we'll uh, we'll talk more about that next week. But yeah, uh, exciting time, Scott. Lots to talk about, and uh, we're diving right in with 2023 movies now. Yeah, I mean, we we did have Megan already, but it, it does feel like. Putting putting the best you know, the top ten episode behind us, and then going headfirst into you know ten movies or you know seven to ten movies, whatever it is that you know depending on who you are among us this week into twenty twenty three films. I mean, I guess it's possible that some of these movies will be twenty twenty four films. Scott, you never you do you do never know with Sundance. Yeah. So we, we could be getting a real sneak peek into you know eighteen months from now and some I don't know mm -hmm. what's a movie that'll release eighteen months from now. I don't I don't have a good one that'll come off the top of my head for that. Piano Forte, something I watched. Yeah. Gets gets a random July 2024 <laughs> release date on the VOD or something like that. Anyway, as already mentioned, we can talk about something that we definitely saw in 2023 and has a wide release. You could go see it right now. That is a review of Missing, the standalone sequel to the Screen Life thriller from 2018, Searching. Co-written and co-directed by Will Merrick and Nick Johnson with story credits for the key creatives behind the first film back in 2018. Missing once again uses the visual storytelling hook of the screen life genre to show one crazy two-week period in the life of June, played by Storm Reed, a senior in high school whose mother Grace, played by Nia Long, has gone missing during a vacation to Columbia with her new boyfriend Kevin, played by Ken Lung. June's and Grace's relationship seems rocky at best to the absence of June's father after he died of a brain tumor when June was very small and Grace seemingly ready to move on from him while June doesn't seem quite as ready just yet. When June is supposed to pick Kevin and her mother up from the airport a week after they leave, they're nowhere to be found, kicking off a race against time for June 
with the help of the local Columbia task rabbiter Javier Joaquin de Almeida to find her mother. The deeper June digs into the disappearance, however, the stranger things become. Scott, I'll stop there to avoid any spoilers whatsoever because as with searching, there's plenty of ways you can spoil that film. As I mentioned, though, at the very top, Searching was both of our number one film from 2018. So expectations for this, I think, were pretty high, even with Shiganti and co-creator Sev Ohanian not behind the wheel on this sophomore outing. So did you feel that Merrick and Johnson did a worthy job creating a successor in Missing? Or did Missing disappoint and ended up proving just how much of a feat Searching was back in 2018? Yeah, you know, Searching wasn't the first Screen Life movie, but it was the first one that it feels like really put it all together. Um, you know, there was Unfriended is kind of the the real uh, start of the this subgenre of movies. But, um, you know, that movie, while an interesting concept, was a little bit contrived. Searching was the one that, like, was able to put it together, was, like, had this fluid editing, and the directors of this movie are were the editors of Searching. Yeah. Um, you know, put that together um, in this sort of emotionally resonant and also very suspenseful story that didn't really, you don't lose interest in, even though you're mostly just looking at a screen for uh, the majority of the movie. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the, the subgenre hasn't necessarily taken off despite the success of Searching, um, but we've obviously been excited for this movie for a while because Searching was our joint number one film of 2000. 18 it's very rare that a genre film can can top a list for me but um it was it was hard to deny for me that year and uh you know it's got this movie starts missing starts and i was like okay well i'm watching searching again because the opening scene of missing is yeah. which if you'll you know if you'll recall the opening scene of searching is about a five six minute long um kind of wordless sequence that um sets up the backstory of david which is uh, john cho's character from that movie his wife and Margot, the daughter's mom dying of cancer and just sort of the progression of um her um disease you know she gets it she gets better and then you know we see that it, she is in um it comes back and she ends up dying um and that they tell that whole story in like six minutes again using only the screens and you know, calendar updates yep. and just little tricks and stuff. Well, this this movie opens pretty much the same way, uh, right? We get a home video of, and this is not a spoiler because it's the first scene, but we get a home video of um, June Storm Reed's character as a child um, with her dad and her mom. Also, you know, Neil Long shows up in, in the home video as well. Sort of the, the end of the video is her dad starts to have a bloody nose um he's kind of playing it off like it's you know uh not serious and then it is not quite as long of a sequence as searching it it mainly kind of just cuts right to the chase um but you know tells us in so many words that her father died of cancer um and i'm like really like we're gonna open the film the exact yeah. same way that we opened searching like it was I great had the same searching, reaction but like, yeah um well, then, so then again, like in searching, you know, you get past that intro, we kick into the, the story, right? The the missing person story. Um, and like you said, it is the fact that um, her mom and boyfriend go to the airport. They fly to, why can I not remember what country it is? Now? Columbia. 
yes. Um, and then they're supposed to come back. They don't come back. And here we go. And even though I was like still a little like had my eyebrow raised from that opening scene, as soon as like the plot gets into motion, I was like, all right, here we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Uh, because I just really enjoy this format of storytelling. Um, you know, I do think it is sort of the new evolution in something like a found footage movie, um, which obviously, you know, I, I'm I'm a fan of found footage movies. My favorite horror movie of all time is The Blair Witch Project, which is the godfather of found footage movies. Um, there aren't as many nowadays, but I think, again, this is sort of the, the next step in it, right, where it has this sort of hyper-realistic effect um where you feel like you are watching this happening play out in real time um it's you know so it, it's a it adds this sort of layer of authenticity to it that i think i don't know i'm able to get invested in the stakes much more of the story because i feel like i'm watching something real going down in front of me um and the screen life thing you know it helps with that because we are all on our screens every day and so um sure. a lot of it makes sense we're like yeah this is how we would probably respond to this situation um and it's if, a very it's very kinetic that. too and i, I think yeah. you can really to your point at the beginning you can really tell that merrick and johnson are the editors of the first film because they create a pretty smooth and kinetic experience just watching these screens maybe even more yeah, so than the first film yeah, there's like some cool little visual gimmicks. Like I forget what it is, but they like take the Google Maps like arrow thing and like make yeah. it come alive. They almost, yeah, they animate it. Yeah. It gets yeah, they animate it and stuff. Yeah. It's um, very cool. It's pretty cool. But yeah, so you have like, you know, the, on the one hand it's kind of a found footage movie. On the other hand, it's kind of a procedural, right, Scott? Which is another thing that I'm really into. Um, and you know, you are you really are seeing June go through the, you know the grunt work of being a detective and trying to figure out what, what, you know, happened and trying to get into people's accounts, you know, guessing passwords, Googling stuff, you know, she has to task rabbit this dude, as you said, uh, you know, Joaquin Diameda's character. Um, she is like, you know, really having to go through the process. We really see the process of her yeah. trying to, you know, figure this out. And I enjoy that kind of movie. So, yeah. The combination of those two sorts of things really gets uh my gears going um and then you know as the movie goes along um you know the misgivings that i even had in the beginning get completely turned on their head because i think this movie is kind of without saying too much is kind of um playing on your familiarity and knowledge of searching which i don't know how many people like are going to pick up on that that layer of it um but we obviously being such huge fans of searching I, like i don't know how many stands of that movie there are out there like we are but um yeah at least for me i really appreciated sort of the um i guess it's a little bit meta what they're trying to do and it's very self-aware it's very self-aware yeah, self yeah yeah play with uh play with what you're expecting and what you're familiar with from Definitely. searching and the way that they're able to turn that on um, its head as the movie goes along um, was just like an added little nice bonus, I think, to, again, the story itself and the format in which it's told just being really, really absorbing. Um, and then there's also sort of some, uh, you know, commentary about true crime in a way, right? Which I think is also where the fascination with this sort of story being told in this way comes from. 
Um, you know, true crime is such a popular um, genre of, you know, content today. Definitely. And, um, and and I think, you know, again, that you, you throw in the screen life effect, you throw in that these are like these sort of detective stories um, playing out in real time. And it takes on a true crime effect. I mean, even, you know, it's even a plot point in the movie, right, that, that June, the first thing we see her doing in the movie is watching a Netflix true crime series that is dramatizing the searching, yeah. events of searching, uh, events of the first movie, um, which is kind of funny. But that they, they're trying to have some commentary on it. I'm not sure it fully works because um, they are having their cake and eating it too a little bit. Like, I think they want you to be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, obviously be really excited and um, engaged by the trappings of true crime. But then at the end, they kind of also are a little bit more critical of it as a, um, you know, lens for telling a story like this. But anyway, I thought that that was interesting that they tried to add a little bit of, you know, substance in there beneath the the surface. But um, yeah, Scott, it's just a really exciting movie. Like I was on the edge of my seat. I really was. I was, I feel like I was gripped as much as I was watching Searching. I'm not sure if the emotional um, effect was quite as effective as Searching. Um, it, um, it ends up on, also, it ends on a very similar note to what, um, happens in searching. Now it's a little bit of a twist on it. Again, it is a little bit of a twist on it that I liked, but, um, I did feel like even though they are subverting things a little bit, there were some familiar beats that got hit along the way, um, so that it didn't quite resonate as strongly with me in that department. I think there's maybe like one too many red herring in the movie, red herring um in in the plot i also think that there are a few times when it's a little less subtle in how it's executed like the musical score at various times will be like (laughs) like it it builds up and then it's like goes silent and all of a sudden we get like a big reveal or whatever it does that like three or four times in the movie and it's like okay I, i really had to like fight on i do like the score but i think it might be overexposed yeah you you contrast that with like yeah. in searching right the moment when he thinks that Margot has died and they are you know he's clicking to watch the the funeral oh, it's so good. The it's thing so online good. or whatever yeah. it's completely silent right there's no <laughs> from my memory there's no um you know music or anything and he pulls up the little the ad pops up basically yep. and it has the fish and chips and your heart just drops out of out of your chest yeah. Um, a real yeah. like gasp inducing moment but yeah. it didn't you know they didn't need the score or anything else telling us like okay here we go here it comes here it comes and here it is you know here yeah. this is the big moment um so a little bit of that stuff goes a long way probably but um i had a great time with the movie scott i i fully recommend it especially if you're a fan of searching but even if you're not like it's you know you don't need you certainly don't need to have seen searching to see the movie there's like one little reference to it like we said but um it's it's a super fun time and just this way of storytelling has not gotten old for me yet you know if we're going to get a knives out movie every three years or something i'll happily get one of these movies every three years too because they they like i said they haven't worn out their welcome yet yeah i i agree i you know i i saw this movie about a week before you did because i i was lucky enough to get a ticket to like an alamo simulcast of like the the premiere like a week before the film was released and I feel like I went through the exact same emotional journey of like, I can't believe that they are they're just doing the same thing again with like some of their like story structure. And then 
yeah, they they do really turn it on its head. So uh, I think my first my, my text to you after I watched the movie was was just you got to let them cook. You just got to let them cook. Yeah. In the in the film, you got to trust that you know Merrick Johnson, Anish Shiganti, Sevohani, and they're they're going to they're they're aware. Like they're they're very self aware. I mean, they all like you said, they're all they were all involved in one way or another making the first film. So it's clear that they know what they're doing, and. Yes, they have their kicking it too in certain moments, like you say, which I, I thought was earned. Like, yes, it's kind of like a wink and a nod a little bit and maybe a bit eye rolly. But I did. I do think that they kind of earned those those couple moments. Um, but yeah, they that they figured it out. I, I really enjoyed it as well. This film, it is very. Yeah, I guess I guess I go back to the kinetic aspect, because when you describe like what a screen life drama or thriller might look like in terms of the use of the screens and you know tablets computers phones etc i think just describing that to someone it doesn't it doesn't sound like that is like an incredibly watchable medium um it, it feels like it would be hard to construct something that is so kinetic and so lively um on the screen but through the the particular like frames and angles that they that they leverage and also i think i think the editing is just such a huge part of it um, I think they're really able to create something special. I think it's probably why you haven't seen a ton of movies um, explode through this genre, because I think I think that it probably is just like an incredibly difficult thing to actually pull off um, so much planning. And, and I feel like planning in a way that is very different than a lot of filmmakers use. I mean, the average movie, right? Like it's very rare where you see a, a movie these days and the camera is just sort of placed like on a you know forget like on a like through a computer screen just place just put in one place and the actors just go through the whole scene with the camera just in place obviously there's some filmmakers who do that but very few do and i think that adapting to that style is something that really must be very difficult creatively i think to execute so yeah it's interesting because you know the the plots of the movie you're watching these characters try to put together a puzzle in a way but also at the same time there is the extra layer of the filmmakers like forming a puzzle of their own and how are they going yeah. to be able to tell this entire story without breaking away from the screens exactly so it's interesting yeah yeah absolutely so i think it as much as the success of searching might have ca- like you know kickstarted the genre i just think it's very i think that it the fact that it hasn't blown up um, granted, Searching still was a relatively small movie, but the fact that it hasn't been bigger than what it has been, I think just speaks to the fact that it's very difficult. I mean, look at Shigante and Ohanian's other film, you know, run from was that was that 2020? That was the middle of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, they didn't do they didn't do the screen life stuff and that it is very I think it is very difficult to execute, I think is what we can take away from it. And I was impressed. I was impressed again. I, I don't think it quite reaches the exactly to what you said, the emotional heights of the first film. I think part of that is how tight and contained searching as a story was. It doesn't ever really feel like it gets out of control at any point. Like it feels very um, like you can sort of wrap your arms around that story the whole time. You can kind of understand and, and emotionally follow all the beats. I think at times this, the story, you know, the scale of this story, I think gets a little bit big at certain points. And I think that makes it a little bit less accessible in some ways, like the fact that it's spanning multiple continents. I mean, I, I was I saw somewhere where this film was originally going to be called uh, Searching Abroad was like the original title for this film, which I thought is a, is a bad name. I'm glad they changed it to Missing. 
<laughs> um, I think that was a good choice. But I think it also speaks to, you know, the growing interest in, in, in showing a, a larger scale story. And I think that just certain, um, you know, certain costs came with, with doing that, I think. And I think the other aspect is just that as good as Storm Reed and Neil Long are in this movie, and I think they are pretty good. They're just not as good as John Cho. Like John Cho yeah. is just such a sensational performance. Um, in and, the first I mean, film, he, it's, it's kind of hard to invest that. He earned an Indie Spirit Award nomination yeah. for it, even. But yeah, I think on what you're saying, Scott. Also, just the there, there's no way to sort of replicate the novelty. I think of watching That's Searching it. for the first first time. Like you know, again, it was sort of the breakthrough film in the screen life genre in terms of what it could do and you know i always talk about how i went into that movie just expecting to see a you know straightforward thriller and then all of a sudden you get hit with that emotional bag of bricks in the first scene and it's like oh wow so that's how we're going to do this now coming into this there's a certain expectation because of yeah. that being the experience with searching um that i think the, the film can't help but be put at a disadvantage fairly or unfairly perhaps because sure. of you know how groundbreaking and fresh searching felt at the time yeah i think that's totally fair i think that's a I think that's a really good a really good call call it. i mean searching is still the movie that like you know you show it to someone and i feel like it still just sort of knocks everyone i've ever oh, showed yeah. the movie to just sort of it knocks them off their feet i think a little Same. bit um and part of that is definitely there's the opening sequence and then you're just totally locked in and invested through the rest of the movie and, and i definitely i definitely didn't immediately feel that way um and and this film and i think on that note why don't we go ahead and talk about the two lead actresses of the movie i guess storm regionally the lead actress and then neil long is probably the main supporting actress in this because by the nature of her disappearance neil long does sort of disappear <coughs> for a large chunk of the film but Stor storm reed they they sort of um what, what what's the uh what's the parent version of gender swapping the film they uh relationship swap the film where the daughter yeah. is looking for the parent and this one, so June, she plays June, who is the senior in high school, who has this semi-strained relationship with her mother over the fact that, you know, her she's watching her mother move on from her deceased father. And meanwhile, it sort of is all June really seems to be thinking about when it comes to her familial situation. But Scott, what did you think of Storm Reid? I mean, I feel like she's been in things here and there. We've liked her in several different projects she's been a part of. Um, you know, probably most she's probably most famous, I guess, for, for kind of being a supporting character on Euphoria. I feel like it's like the biggest thing she's done. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, she's also been in in a couple movies. I think she was in the she was in um The Invisible Man. I think uh, she was one of the leads in A Wrinkle in Time, which I don't think you saw. But what did you think yeah. of Storm Reed in this? Do you think this is maybe a bit of a step forward for her career? Yeah, no, I think she leads the movie more than capably. Again, with with you know these sorts of movies, it, they they do you know deceptively perhaps require a lot from the lead actor because the camera is staying on them for most of the time, and it's requiring their performance and their character to maintain our interest in a story that you know is told from a, by a camera that never moves from one place. To your point. Um, and so you really have to be invested and, you know, it's good casting. She is a teenager. She is playing a teenager, like, yeah. <laughs> and it's, she seems like a teenager, right? I think we take that for granted a little bit nowadays because, sure. um, you know, you think about something like, and I enjoy this movie, but you think about like do revenge, for example, when you have a Netflix movie from last year, when you have like Camilla Mendez, for example, who's pushing 30, probably still playing a high schooler, um, 
you know, it, it gets kind of they've been, they've been platted it. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, not in the case of Storm Reid. Like, she is a believable teenager. You know, the early scenes when she's like, oh, yeah, my parents are gone. We're going to go crazy. We're going to have a rager. Um, but then also the other um, side to that, which is, you know, that she is still hurting from the loss yeah. of her father. Um, and again, because like one of the first things we see her doing in the movie is editing that home video to like edit out the uh the part at the end where he gets a bloody nose and like only capture the good memory of that um so i think she she you know hits all the dimensions a little bit yeah i just i don't think she's quite as polished as john cho you know to the point perhaps that we're making um but you know it's it's good and i like the the treatment of the character as you know with john cho he was trying to figure a lot of things out just you know um, how to use the computer how to like solve this mystery in the first movie <laughs> yeah whereas you know she's right in number one because she knows true crime right like she knows where to look and she's talking with her friend right and her friend's like oh you got to look at the blocked accounts on google or whatever because that's what i saw in the netflix series that they did and that turns out to be a pretty important part of the the mystery is when they're looking at the blocked accounts um and then um just the fact that she's a teenager right and like her before this her life is on screens probably to some extent she's savvy so she she's tech savvy. yeah she's savvy she's able to figure it out she's able to put it together which is good and again it's smart because we've now seen searching right we also know how to put it together right we don't need necessarily the walkthrough of all of these elements again so it makes sense from an audience perspective to just sort of get into it a lot quicker and yeah. you know be moving things along a lot quicker because we're now familiar with it and it also makes sense from a character perspective because she would obviously be more versed in you know how to use technology in this sort of situation than john cho's character was in the first movie so i think it works on all levels and her performance is included in that yeah it's 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 definitely one of those where you it's like the uh, uh this is a maybe this is just like a terrible comparison but it's like the it's like the video game sequel where they just like give you all the powers that, that your character has at the start as opposed to having you rebuild from, yeah. from the from the ground up again it definitely feels like that <clears throat> i think it just also adds like a going back to what i was saying about how sort of even more kinetic this film feels is that i think the her savviness and her ability to very quickly weave through stuff that you know i wouldn't have even gone through as quickly as some i mean Granted, I'm not like a Gen Z high schooler right now, um, but I'm like most I'm like pretty, pretty savvy with, you know, tech literate, et cetera. <laughs> but, you know, she's like racing through some of these things and and going pretty quickly through it. And I, I think it's an interesting it's interesting then to to sort of pair her up with Javier in Colombia, who's like on the other side of the spectrum, even a, like mm -hmm. across John Cho is like how, mm -hmm. you know, how not you know literate he is on on that it creates like an interesting duo but he's still even able to like it's sort of like the combination of their knowledge is able to sort of make headway in in some of the detective work because he has sort of like the local knowledge and then she knows how to exploit that to maybe gain clues or insight into things that are happening and, and i think that works quite well but yeah i really enjoyed her performance um i don't think it's going to be one that i necessarily think about for a long time after but if this thing is able to take off it's not necessarily being it's not necessarily huge at the box office especially with things um overshadowing it i think it's fair to say right now things like a man called auto even avatar is still in theaters um 
there's uh, Puss in Boots as well. Like these, all these things are sort of outperforming it at the box office still. But I think that this is a type of film that once it hits Netflix and it will hit Netflix as a part of Sony's pay one deal, I think this film could be pretty big on Netflix. And I think it's it's then where you might see sort of the recognition for Storm Reed pick up a little bit and, and not necessarily talk about in any terms of like awards or or critical way, just more like getting her in the spotlight for this and and potentially paving a way for her to be you know, bigger and bigger roles in, in larger movies. Cause this is ultimately still a quite, you know, a very small movie at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nia Long is sort of the compliment to sort of the youthfulness of Storm Reed. She's sort of like the veteran actress who's been around the block many, many times. And she has a pretty major role in the first part of the film. Um, and without any spoilers, I'll, I, I won't say any more of her role in the film after that. But Scott, I will say in like the opening third of the film when she's still on the screen and she's still having an impression. Did you think that she was sort of a, a sort of veteran companion in and guiding the movie along in the first act? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, again, it is somewhat of a similar type character to the John Cho, like the doting, you know, parent, parent character, yeah, yeah. like, you know, John Cho in the first movie is like, Oh, you take out the trash, Margo, you know, you got to take out the trash. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she's just kind of on her about various, um, you know, sort of thing, like, you know, things that makes the teenager eye roll. Um, so she's a believable mother in that regard. I think we kind of have to talk spoilers a little bit here. Um, All right. Spoilers. Yeah. But I think also there's she has like a good intrigue to her performance. Right. Because there is at least a point in the movie where you have to second guess whether she um, is involved in this whole plot that eventually gets uncovered um and yeah i think there was enough mystery about her to for me to believe it and also again this is the movie using your familiarity with like the first movie right like you know deborah messing turns out to be like the quote unquote culprit in the first movie the, the cop the character that you would like least expect um and i feel like there's some of that sort of in the way that you view this character too, is like, oh, well, um, you know, she's probably the last person you would expect, right? Because she's the person who supposedly got kidnapped. Um, but um, then once certain revelations start coming to light, oh, she has a different name, right? Like what, what's going on here? Um, it's like, you're using your knowledge from the first movie to kind of think, you know, is is there more than meets the eye with this character and i think she ju left just enough below the surface of her performance for me to um believe that there could be um even though there well there there is but not what you think it's going to be at a certain point in the movie yeah i, I do think this character is like kind of um i don't want to say a, a victim of of the film's twistiness mm -hmm. but like she like her potential complicitness um in anything that might be happening in the film is just sort of like used and abused by like the plot of of the film and the desire to keep you guessing at all turn at all points um the was she involved or was she not involved is like something that twists like two or three times i think in the film and i don't think that it's inherently bad but I, I do think that what you were saying sort of towards the end of your general thoughts around maybe there's one maybe one too many red herrings or twists 
um, in in the plot, I think is probably probably fair. And, and I do think that her character is and how it was treated is sort of at the center of maybe where I'd identify potential to slim down a little bit on some of the, some of the twists. And even I guess even in spite of that, like I, I still feel like it was a good performance. Um, and, and agree with you on that. It feels like she really, what, whether it's because of the editing or whether it's because of the way they they sort of put pieced things together. But yeah, the, the the performance she gives totally has the sort of the aura of this sort of I don't really know about this person kind of character. Like at first, it seems innocent, but maybe it's not. Um, which I think is a credit to to the performance for sure. Overall, ultimately though, I, I really think that as motherly as the character is the truth is she's like not in the she's not in the movie that much um mm -hmm. so I, I do think that she sort of leaves an impression in the first part and um you know i guess we are talking a little bit spoiler so if you're a little bit spoiler conscious then then maybe log off and, and go see the movie but it, she does re you know when she does reappear at the end of the film you know it, it's I don't know how much of an impression that element of it of it made. So it it, it does feel like it once again, uh, you know, maybe one of the maybe the acting department is the area that is like sort of the biggest, you know, delta between this movie and and searching. Just because I I don't think it has any performances that are going to really stick with me over a longer period of time. Whereas, you know, maybe it's unfair to keep talking about John Cho, but I still think about that performance regularly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Scott, anyone else that you want to you want to highlight? Do you want uh, in the cast uh, there are there is Ken Lung who plays Kevin Grace Neilong's boyfriend. There's Joaquin de Almeida, who you referenced earlier, who plays Javier, who is like the local Colombian gig uh, gig worker who's helping June out. Um, <laughs> there's the friend Vina, who you mentioned earlier, who Me Megan Suri, who plays the friend who's um, maybe a good friend, maybe not a good friend. Hard to tell sometimes whether this is a good friend or not. <laughs> If I'm being honest. And then, of course, uh, the MVP of the whole movie, Angel. He just wants his watch back. Um, yeah. Poor guy. Any any other Pretty any other performances gag. you want to call out? Pretty good gag, I will say, with Angel. Also, there there are some decent gags throughout the movie. Like the when she has to solve the captcha and it's like yeah. the she has to say where the is bus the, is. And yeah, it's like the bus. The, I was like, we have frame. all been yeah. there. We have all yeah. been there. That was very relatable. <laughs> Like the little little corner of it is over in one of the panes, but um, but yeah, no, I mean Joaquin de Almeida is probably like the st standout from the supporting cast. Yeah. Like he's a really fun character. Like like you said, he's kind of this bumbling older guy. He has the lowest rating on Task Rabbit of anybody in his sector. Yeah, but he's cheap. Columbia. I, I I saw somebody say in a review or something that that was probably because. He's gets he's he's getting personally invested in everyone else's, uh, you know, quests <laughs> and getting, um, you know, sidetracked yeah. in what he's really supposed to be doing. But um, but yeah, you know, they even try to have a little bit of an emotional through line there. I'm not sure it's like fully formed, but, you know, we learn that he has a son that he's estranged from. And um, there's a little bit of a payoff on that at the end. But um, it definitely yeah, feels like it, he ends up playing the parent role in the film. Yeah. Just by just by nature of the fact that he's there for mm -hmm. most of the movie um, and sort of has that sort of like aged wisdom that he's imparting at times on. June. Right. 
But it's good because, you know, he in some regards, he is simply just a tool in the plot, right? Which is you have to, in order to, to make certain things happen, you have to have somebody who is on the ground in Colombia, right? Like you're not going to be able to move the, the plot along unless you have that person. But the fact that he's able to make it feel like an actual person, I think, um, speaks to his success as a performer in this film because again you you could simply see this person as a means to an end like if you really step back and take a fifty thousand foot view of it that is kind of what he is but they treat him like a real person and he you know gives that with his performance so i think he's probably the standout but everyone's good in the movie you know there's the cop as well which again i'm talking about uh you know deborah messing again there are kind of a couple of moments where they're like, oh, could the cop be involved again, right? You know, because that's how what it was in the first movie. Um, yeah. But he he's not really enough of a character, I think, to um, to fully buy into that. Like, like he's Deborah a bad he's a bad he's a bad officer as well. Agent he is, or whatever yeah. he is. Yeah. Not a good cop. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the the movie uses its supporting cast well for the most part. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I don't know if I have too much to add, but I would say that Javier, the Javier character is definitely sort of the one that is probably the most ripe for, you know, a deep, like deeper digging. And it, it kind of does that. But I also think as much as maybe it could have been fleshed out more, I'm probably happy that they didn't, you know, sink any more calories into it. So I think ultimately probably the right decision. Scott, the, the last couple things in the film, I mean, I, I do want to obviously talk about the resolution of the plot. Um, but before we even get to that, though, I got to say, one, one of the interesting things that that this film did beyond just sort of the time, like time being a dimension of pressure that was in searching, right? Like how, like I have to find Margot quickly because, you know, after a certain amount of time, it's, it's just very difficult. There are elements of that in this film as well, but there's this interesting um, device that I thought they were going to make more of at some point in the film was the amount of money that she has in her bank account yeah, uh -huh. really ineffectively used. I got to say, um, yeah, I, they, I would they agree started using it well. And then they, I feel like they really just dropped the ball a bit on that one. Well, because, because the implication is that Javi is like, okay, you don't need to pay me anymore for like my services. I'm just going to help you out. Right. Because that's kind of the main, the main tension of it for me was like, because yeah. she has to pay him with like the last of her money and then it's like oh well you know what does she do now but it's like the one thing that she would really need money for is to continue paying him and he's kind yeah. of just like cool with it it seems yeah she needs money to bribe the local officials man like i don't know clearly they're not aware yeah. that bribing is a thing so uh dis disappointed that we weren't greasing more palms um in this movie maybe but yeah i thought that was like oh this is going to be a really great tool to like add even more attention into the plot with the fact that she's running out of money and they just like really didn't like follow through on it. But I mean, you're right. The, the explanation is because he's just like, I'll help you, whatever. Um, yeah. But it, I was disappointed in that because I thought that could have been a really effective mm -hmm. way to ratchet up the tension more. All right, Scott, let's talk about the narrative resolution. Say, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Just on that really quickly, that almost would make it for feel too much like a video game for me. Right. Where it's like, Oh, you have your set amount of money, right. You can't run out of, uh, your money and there are there are some pc games that are in this vein that are like the screen life games where it's like it gives you i've played a couple of them where it, it gives you like a bunch of folders of stuff of videos and all kinds of things and you just have to basically figure out 
what's going oh, on. Oh yeah, like pu- like a puzzle game. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, just like the the money I know what you're saying, but also it may have been a little bit too much well, like maybe if they did, they didn't ratchet up the sound of like the the cha-ching yeah. sound effects or whatever. I mean they probably well, could have yeah, like yeah. a little bit. They, they yeah. go a little overboard with some of that stuff. I, I don't. Uh, I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I maybe it's video gaming. Maybe maybe it's because I I play video games and I am into video games. But I do think that sure. that would have been a really cool way to to, to ratchet up tension. Um, going to the resolution of the plot because there's the second half of this film is just there's so many twists. But the biggest and baddest one of them all um, is of course the reveal that June's sorry june's father and grace's husband i think his name is james is not in fact that did not die of a brain tumor and is in fact he was arrested um he was extremely abusive and controlling um and i I guess to back up he was extremely abusive and controlling towards his family and to help herself and her daughter escape from this grace didn't manufacture a situation because it was real, but basically narcs on her husband has her husband's drug possession and drugs. Sm- I don't know if there was smuggling, if it was just possession or what it was um, to get him arrested and then takes her, her and her daughter into protective custody. James gets out of prison or, and whatnot and then is on this mission. And his cellmate hunt. is or he is in prison with. Yes, he uh, is in prison with Kevin. Ken Lung's character. Yeah. Ken Lung's character and sort of uses him to find, you know, his ex-wife, you know, his former wife and his daughter. And and he is the one who, of course, has kidnapped, has kidnapped Grace, eventually even kidnaps June. And there is this sort of climactic third act in the middle of of the desert <clears throat> in in Nevada. Um, at the house where the original sort of opening montage video was shot. Um, huge, huge, very twisty, very big twists. Um, I have a couple thoughts quickly to uh, um, sort of burst out here before I want to get your full thoughts on it, and then I'll come back with my full thoughts. But a couple things that stood out to me, um, just from a viewing perspective, and this is my own like broken brain trying to hunt everything down and opening as soon as as they called or she called that place that like ministry or whatever whatever it's like disguised as in the yeah. opening scene i'm like this guy is going to be important at the end of the movie yeah yeah jimmy um, or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. now i did, I did not, not know who was he was that yeah no no yeah, yeah i did not know who he was but i'm like J- jimmy is like 100 percent involved in this like no no mm. doubt jimmy is definitely involved um in this whole thing and the second thing is when they show her living room on the screen like after they've made it to like this place and they show her living room on the screen with the phone there i'm like just say hey siri just do it yeah um, yeah <laughs> um uh can you hear this yeah so then my, <laughs> then siri my start going off <laughs> exactly yeah um and i was and i was thinking that actually during during the film last thing before i throw it to get to get your full thoughts on on the last part is that um I I wonder how many people's phones went off in the in the theater after <laughs> in the in that scene in the movie when she's just screaming um, mm-hmm. at the screen. Okay, anyway, Scott, I want to get your full thoughts on on sort of the final act and whether the twist is uh, is too much. If it's just right, what did you think of everything? 
Well, we didn't even mention another part of it, too, because there's so many sort of uh, moving yeah. parts, which is the friend Heather, right? Which she is a lawyer who right. yeah. is checking in on June, like at the start of the movie. And then there's a point yeah. where we kind of suspect her, right? Because they like trace the phone thing totally. to her yeah. uh, to her office. She goes to her office. We see that Heather has died. Um, Heather's been killed. Um, Murdered. And the, yeah. And then she we eventually learned that she was the domestic violence lawyer who like was uh protecting um helping grace uh grace yeah you know find a safe place you know basically be in witness protection almost in a way Um, it's not witness protection but it's basically that it seems like so i thought that was kind of actually i thought that was actually kind of a you know i I felt a little twinge there when they revealed that like oh wow that's kind of sad you know that you know she was actually she was a good person all along and um you know she's she lost her life as a result of this but so that was a good emotional moment i thought but um a couple of like logical things that i did have slight issue with was um when he when she finds the dating app that um that you know her mom originally met kevin on <laughs> yeah why yeah. did they keep using the dating app for so long after they they're, bo- like, they're boomers man met up don't, already don't sweat it they're boomers don't worry about it, it i guess i will i will say the, the app invention in in these movies like i don't remember what it was called like the the twitch that they like the version of twitch that they invented or whatever um where people like went live or whatever in, in, the, searching, in the first you mean? yeah insert yeah. yeah in searching I don't remember what they called it or something like that. You, yeah. Sure. You stream just like incredible, incredible app inventions to as like alt mainstream. Um, yeah. Like, you know, you have a dating app. You've got a you got a Twitch alternative, like a live streaming app. I I'm, can't wait to find out what they their alternative is for. Um, I don't know what the next one will be. The other thing that to me was like a I mean, I, I don't have a huge issue with it, but it is something that you have to think about is like, you know, she is. Um, Storm Reed's character, June, is so savvy with, like, the technology and everything. And she's still so bothered by her father's death. You don't think she ever tried to, like, Google him or somehow stumbled across on the computer that he, like, was convicted of, you know, uh, drug possession or whatever and spent, like, 12 years in jail. And we see the mugshot of her dad, like, later in the like. You don't think she ever would have found that out beforehand or even in the course of this mystery that like that would have been an avenue that she would have thought to to go down just like to Google her father. I, I don't know. It just felt like a little bit like I think that this person, this kid who knows technology like this and is still, you know, misses her dad this much. Well, I think that the last name is different. This. So she may not actually know the last name to Google. OK. The change. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably that that could be the explanation. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, I thought it mostly worked, Scott. You know, they keep they still keep you in the dark even after the dad shows up, right? There's a good scene of like um of of them like inside the house and it's like, oh, is she gonna let him in? And then, you know, yeah. we don't really know what his motivations are. He starts trying to, you know, blame the mom basically and say, Oh, she, you know, she ostracized me or whatever, like she's crazy. Yeah. Um and, you know, we kind of believe it for a second because we still don't know fully what's going on. Um, but the, and this is again, this is all the the searching they're playing off of searching. Right. Like because, you know, the dad is the the 
dad is the good guy in searching right sure. and yeah um it's all about a dad daughter relationship and um yeah so i mean i mean you know they're they're playing off of that and subverting that which i like uh, but then you know very quickly we find out and i you know i liked the reveal that you know she was actually a domestic violence um survivor i think yeah. it explains you know a lot of her actions it also like it makes you think about your own thought process during you know this period of the movie where we're like oh is she involved is she not involved and the media is really stoking up like oh could she be you know uh, complicit in all of this or whatever it makes you think about your own thought process processing well why did we never think about this as like a option, um, yeah. an option and you know is this how domestic violence survivors and stuff get silenced or you know ignored sure. um because you know we're too busy questioning their own motives instead of um you know looking at the actual facts of the situation it's not quite a 1v1 comparison because again it's not like um you even know that she's a domestic violence um, survivor until till they reveal it to you yep but um I didn't feel like like I feel like there was a there was a possibility for this to be like a kind of like a problematic direction to take this in right like the you know you have this missing person thriller and all of a sudden you're just going to introduce this very serious element into it but I didn't feel like that they sensationalized it or did not give it the appropriate weight or gravity that it deserves um and I thought that they walked that line pretty well so I thought it was good. I thought the, you know, Harry Siri thing was a fun um, way to resolve the plot um, because, you know, you are wondering for a while there how they're going to get out of it exactly. Um, and yeah, the, you know, all, all throughout all this, they're using the cameras and everything very smartly because, you know, they are, they leave the, the house um, where most of the movie takes place. They leave June and Grace's house, but, you know, the movie has to continue. And, but they're able to, you know, maintain the, um, the surveillance state gimmick. Yeah, the gimmick, <laughs> I guess, um, through the the phone, the smartwatch, the computer, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, up in the up in the game to include the smartwatch this time, for sure. Yeah. Again, another real Chekhov's gun situation, like you're saying with Jimmy, where like you know you see the the watch keeps Angel keeps asking for his watch in the movie. And it's like, yeah, it's a funny bit, but it's also like, yeah, this is probably going to be useful at some point, you know, in the yeah. movie. Yeah. And and honestly, I don't have too much more to add about the the final sequences, but I will say extremely satisfying to see Nia Long's character shot and then, you know, sort of pick herself up off the ground to to uh, stab Jane yeah. in the throat or whatever it is that she does with like the, the is it the mirror shard or whatever? I don't mm -hmm. remember. Um, so satisfying Very good and stuff. then the final scene we have to mention is like sure. you know again it, it's it's very much like searching right we're searching the whole you know we end up with the whole text where um earlier in the movie david's unable to send the text that says you know um he says i'm proud of you and then he can't say your mom would be too yeah um and then he does send it at the end of the movie and you have like the little three dots right and you know what's about yeah. well we have the same thing sort of which is that you know when and i think this is done well in the movie too is that um you know the last text that she sends um that grace sends to her before she goes missing is i love you 
And, you know, at the time, June is being super moody and just gives a little like reaction to it. Doesn't say I love you back or anything. And then throughout the movie, she's actually wondering, does she have like a, you know, a part to play in this almost? June is kind of wondering, like, um, is she complicit in a way? And also just thinking about the fact that that was the last thing that she said to her mom. A lot of guilt. Um, Yeah. 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 and so I thought that was an interesting element that they introduced it. But anyway, we come back to the end of the movie. You know, everything's cool between the two of them. June texts, I love you. And her mom hits her with the like react instead of okay. saying it back. And yeah. she's just like, are you kidding me? So, again, it's the same sort of thing where like you're waiting. You know what's about to happen. You're waiting for yeah. the text to happen. But they they twist it just a little bit enough from searching to where I still like smiled when it happened. Um, yeah. I, you know, if they do make a third one, I think they're going to obviously have to do go in a pretty different direction because I think now they've kind of done the both sides of the coin that you can do with this sort of story. Outer but, space. Um, You're right. They got to go to space. <laughs> yeah. On, only natural place to do it next. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was, it was well done. Yeah. Look, I guess we'll, we'll see if they have, a third film in the meantime i think fair to say that this is a pretty good double feature between searching and missing i i enjoyed it scott totally. i think we're going to wrap up at this point favorite scene or moment from missing yeah um there's some good examples i mean you know it is kind of hard to distinguish scenes i guess to a certain extent but i do sure. like when she goes to heather's office um, oh yeah so, really anxiety sort of so suspenseful high. Yeah. scene yeah, yeah. um and I, again, like the this is where like it goes full found footage, right? Because she's like carrying the camera with her, I guess, into their like yeah, she's at the um, phone or whatever, right? It's filming it herself, her phone, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, it's dark in the office. The doors cracked open. We hear somebody coming down the hallway at one point, um, and we see on the computer right that they're deleting all this data. It's like what's going yeah. on here. Um, we just know something's about that. And then she finds Heather dead, obviously. But yeah, really good suspenseful scene. Yeah, that's a good shout for sure. I, I like that one a lot. I did. Um, I guess for me, then it probably would be it, it's it's kind of the climactic scenes that I think you end up remembering, remembering the most things the same for searching sort of like there's the emotional scene at the beginning. But then there's also sort of exactly that scene you you described it earlier when he's watching the the memorial live stream or whatever. And then you see like the banner. Um, or not the memorial live stream, but whatever. He's online, and you were describing the scene earlier, and you see like the the banner of the stock photo or whatever. Um, it's really good, so stuff like that. But then I think in the, the, this film's version of that kind of just feels like these sort of almost these action, like they almost like action like sequences, almost. Um, and there's always these moments of realization that you, that you get across the film. But yeah, I guess for me, I guess I'd go with the sort of the the resolution at the house because that is something that felt like it was a new element too to the to this film differentiating it a little bit from from searching to have sort of these you know almost as much as there was conflict in the in searching that the conflict with the police officer who was trying to cover for her son that was resolved non-violently there was nothing crazy that was happening mm-hmm. on there and this one obviously takes it a bit a bit further i think that's to its benefit and to its detriment probably like i think it's anytime you you sort of amp up the sort of uh i don't know almost almost like the criminal drama of it all is can can be a takeaway but it did it is going to be something i think of as as making as setting this one apart from from the first one which i still do appreciate 
and I mean, the other element is you have like a true villain in this movie, whereas oh, yeah, like sure. in in Searching, it's like it's more complicated than that because yeah. Deborah Messing is like you know she you, you're questioning the whole movie is kind of about the par parent child relationships, and it's like you know you're questioning would how far would David Kim go? Would he do the same thing in her situation? He probably sure. would, right? Because he goes to the movie theater, beats up that kid, even just when he's trying to find his daughter. Um, so. Here, though, you have obviously an obvious villain in the in the character of James. So For violent sure. resolution probably makes more sense. Yeah, de definitely. And then if I were to choose um, a scene that's more similar to searching, so what I was talking about in terms of like the the um, almost like the Eureka type moments is when you get her looking at the photo or whatever of the of that woman that was hired that Ken that Kevin hired or whatever to act as her mom, and then you see the side by side of how it's yeah. different or whatever. Um, that was a good, a sort of good, re like reveal moment mm -hmm. where you sort of, because you're like, layer what the life. heck? Like yeah. you understand like, okay, now it's like they've substituted for each other, but why? Like this doesn't, you know, it's just like, it's a yeah. crazy thing to happen. It's sort of like the first, it's really the, the moment in the film where the first layer of the onion gets fully peeled back and you mm -hmm. realize there's so many more questions still. Yeah. Uh, all right, Scott, what are you giving missing out of 10? 8.3 really well done yeah i'm pretty much pretty much right there with you as well i'm giving it an eight it's a solid film um you know i i, I still would go to searching first but if someone like my mother tells to me says to me oh i really enjoyed searching what's a movie that i like i'm like you should watch <laughs> the sequel this thing it's very yeah. good too all right that Indeed. should do it for our discussion of missing let's take a short break when we come back we'll be unpacking the nominations for this year's academy awards Scott has um, a psychotic level of notes in the background of his video right now. Um, some scrawlings on the wall even. So it's probably <laughs> going to be a good discussion. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As mentioned before the break, we are talking all about the 95th Academy Awards nominations. They were released last week by Riz Ahmed and Allison Williams. Scott, um, stupid that they just didn't have Megan announcing the nominations, to be honest. It was, seems like a real missed opportunity, but I have seen people I, saying that Megan should sing. Uh, was it? Uh, I forget. I'm always I'm from forgetting the, the song right now that she sings in the. Oh, Titanium. Yeah. Titanium, yeah. They, they, she should perform Titanium at the Oscars, which I'd agree with. I thought you were going to say she should sing the National Anthem at the Super Bowl. I think she should join Baby Annette, and they should do a... Uh, oh, no. A, well, you never saw Annette, so yeah. But I, anyway. But, Annette, I, but I know. I Baby know. Annette sings the National Anthem at, like, what the equivalent of the Super Bowl is. and uh, Or I don't... She doesn't sing the National Anthem, but she does, like, the halftime show, I think, uh, in, in Annette. But anyway, ba a Baby Annette-Mega duo oh. would be interesting. Unstoppable. Uh, you know, the Oscars, I, the Oscars would be back. On a serious note, I do want to say uh, Riz Ahmed and Allison Williams did a great job with the, with, with the nominations announcement. I have to say, I watched the whole thing. It can be a train wreck sometimes um, because they do too much banter or like in the case when they had Tiffany Haddish oh, God, or whatever, yeah. she doesn't like pronounce the names right. Um, they didn't have any of that. It, 
Allison Williams, in fact, was very uh, meticulous about pronouncing the name. Like she even had like the right enunciation on Ruben Uslan's last name. Like she even like nailed that perfectly. So credit to them for doing their homework. They did a, a good so job. So did she pronounce Paul Meskel's name correctly? I don't remember. That's a good question. But She's canceled. Oh. I'm sure she probably did. <laughs> okay. If she was reading that category, yeah, yeah, fair enough, Scott. Okay, so why don't we just start with the with the, at the top best picture? We knew that there were going to be ten nominees this year. We've been talking about that. There's no variable number of nominations. It is going to be the full ten. Mostly, no surprises in the category. Everything, everywhere, all at once was, of course, nominated. Probably is the favorite to win right now. It also has eleven nominations, the most of any film at the award show. Win the best picture category gets to run the films. There is everything everywhere all at once that led the way, but then joining it are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar: The Way of Water, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. I guess if we were to jump to the interesting things to talk about, Scott, Triangle of Sadness and and Women Talking sort of feel like the last films in, uh, so to speak. Maybe All Quiet on the Western Front. You could throw the throw in there as well although it seemed like momentum was building at least for a nomination for that film to get in but what did you think of this crop of nominees did you think there were any big surprises i mean i think people maybe the whale not getting in was a minor surprise to some people um obviously there was there's the babylon hive that's out there and and trying to get nominations for that film but anything jump out in this category yeah, I mean, you know, I guess with All Quiet on the Western Front, you know, you have had international films nominated for Best Picture, like in the last few years. Um, yeah. Obviously, Parasite won. Drive My, My Car, Car last year was nominated for Best Picture. So there is kind of the idea of this be there being a token international film yeah. nominated now. And this was this was the one, um, which means it, it likely also is a shoe in to win for Best International Film. That's usually how that goes. But um Anyway, yeah, so Triangle of Sadness, I always thought it was going to get in, honestly, um, mm -hmm. at least, you know, once we kind of got a little bit into award season. That one isn't a huge surprise to me. People like that film. I think the bigger surprise probably is that Ruben Oslin got nominated for Best Director, yep. um, which we can talk about in a second. But yep. um, a second. Women Talking, yes, you know, you, you, I think you identified the films there that were kind of swirling around that last spot. Um, I, I think I, I saw a tweet which was at the time was relatable of like everyone was holding their breath before the last nominee was revealed because alphabetically it could have been either the whale or women talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, which one is it going to be? Please don't be the whale. Um, and it was women talking. Unfortunately, after seeing women talking, I did not enjoy that film too much either. Um, I haven't seen the whale, but I know enough to know that. Um, I would not have wanted it to be there either. Obviously didn't want Babylon there. Scott, they should have just nominated After Sun. Let's be quite honest here. They acknowledged oh, that the sure. film existed because they did give it one nomination. They, should, but, they sure um, did. But uh, that, that should have been the one that got in there um, for the last slot. But whatever. Um, I'm happy with the nominations in general, Scott. You know, you have three of my top five films of the year in there with Tar, The Fablemans, and Top Gun Maverick. Um, you know, you have um everything everywhere all at once which i liked i don't love um i'm not going to be super thrilled if it wins best picture but it's not i wouldn't put it in the bottom tier of nominees of films among the the nominees you know again i didn't like women talking i'm not that crazy about triangle of sadness and i'm not seeing elvis so those are the ones that i'm like not super excited about i am going to watch all quiet on the western front so i'm excited about 
watching that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the Banshees of Sharon, I liked a lot. Avatar The Way of Water, I liked a lot. So, um, you know, in general, I think it's a it's a pretty good field of nominees. Um, there isn't something uh, outside of maybe After Sun where I'm like, that feels like a huge snub in Best Picture to me. Because most of like, looking at my favorite films of the year, most of them are like, didn't really have a shot. You know, like All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, for example, is a documentary. And White Noise never had a shot. Decision to Leave didn't really have a shot. You know, Pearl and X obviously never had a shot. So, um, you know, it doesn't feel like there's any like huge snubs outside of After Sun for me. Like, oh, that movie totally should have been in there. Yeah, from the best best picture conversation, sure. I don't really think After Sun ever had a chance at best picture nomination. No. Um, either to be fair, but it, it's like it's not a genre film. I, like to, to, I guess if you're just describing types of films that could be nominated, it would fit the mold. It's a look, writer. I feel like I, I think this is becoming more of a trend. Maybe it's just always been this way, and I'm just a, more observant of it now. But we're going to talk about this in a second when we talk about the best director category and the best original screenplay category. But it really feels like writer, director, auteurs are just extremely rewarded by the Academy. And I would say generally that makes sense. Some of my favorite movies every single year are written and directed by the same people. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it is written and directed by each movie is written and directed by the same person. But I will say that it seems like a it's a pretty crazy trend, I think, when you look at those two categories and see that there is 100 percent overlap in the films. And all, of course, all five of those movies also got nominated for Best Picture. So it seems like in that original screenplay category, there's a lot of rewarding of creators and filmmakers who who are taking sort of possession and have full sort of control over the entire process. Um, you know, Spielberg's not historically a writer, I guess. But, uh, you know, the fact that he was a co-writer, of course, on on um, the Fablemans obviously got him that screenplay not as well. But overall... Um, yeah, it's a good crop of noms. I don't think really besides Elvis, I don't think there's a bad movie in this group. And I think, you know, women talking, I liked it a little bit more than you did probably, but it, it's certainly not a movie that I'd recommend that everyone needs to go out and go see immediately. But uh, overall, it feels, it feels like a good, a good crop. Um, I think for me, if we're talking about snubs, I, I don't think Nope had a chance at best picture. To be fair, it is a genre film. Um, even though Get Out was nominated for Best Picture, um, Jordan Peele's first film back in 2017. But that that sort of feels like the biggest snub um, up and down the awards list. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I, because it's such a big snub to me, it feels like such a big snub to me that it's not, it didn't get a single nomination, right? Like it didn't get a single nomination, I don't I don't think, at the entire show, um, which just feels kind of no, crazy. Didn't it feels kind of crazy that that happened. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That is another pretty big snub, I guess. But, you know, again, looking at the year you had, I think we, we identified as like the three really great blockbusters. Two of them got in there for yeah. um, Best, Best Picture. Picture. Yeah. And I hope that Marvel fans are paying attention to this and see that when you actually make an interesting, good blockbuster movie, the Academy will recognize it. It is not biased against your films in some way, other than the sense that they're not that great. Um, it even nominated one of them in the past for Best Picture. Um, but, yeah. you know, it is there is not a blockbuster bias um, in the Academy. They just nominated these movies because they were good. I, I'm, I'm standing up for the Academy for once, but, um, oh boy. you know, I think that it's something you can point to there like when 
when Marvel fans just try to say, well, they don't nominate movies that people actually want to see. Like, you know, they just nominate a bunch of pretentious stuff. I mean, that's just not not true. I, I do think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't I don't know if I'd describe it as a bias, but I do think the Academy is dismissive of sci-fi superhero films. I I know that Avatar is like an acting nomination to Angela Bassett. Sure. Yeah, I I, okay, but but saying that a film gets one nomination is not proof that (laughs) that there's not some bias against that. Um, Look, I know Avatar is the exception to that, um, but I think it's kind of obvious why it's the exception to that. And I think it's just because it's so groundbreaking um, in its filmmaking and it's in its special effects and the fact that it has, you know, maybe the most prolific filmmaker of all time now that he has three of the top four highest grossing movies of all time as of yesterday when we were recording um and the way of water surpassed i think it was uh the force awakens to become the fourth highest grossing movie of all time just jim jim cameron just knows how to sell a movie i guess i don't know anyway that's not the discussion doesn't need to be had again uh at this point but it did get nominated almost feels like the exception that proves the rule of sorts, but yeah, it, it does prove that they will nominate massively popular films. I do think that superhero movies is still something of a of a blocker for them. Um, I mean, the fact that that Avengers Endgame got so little recognition above the line, I think, is is proof of that. But anyway, that's the best picture category. Best director, Scott. You mentioned Ruben Oslund did receive a nomination. A bit of a surprise, maybe even more than a bit of a surprise in that respect. But four other directors here, all men, I guess, go ahead and just get that out of the way. Uh, But not necessarily a surprise. It is the Daniels. It is Todd Field for Tar, Martin McDonough for the Banshees of Inisherin, and Steven Spielberg for the Fablemans. You know, for for me, I think that there's so many other places that the film makes sense to get recognized. I was personally a little bit surprised that Martin McDonough got a nomination for Best Director. I know he was in the conversation. It doesn't blow my mind, but I kind of thought that they might go a different direction with that. But the Daniels, Todd Field, Spielberg, no surprises on those respects. Yeah, I'm not surprised McDonough got it. I mean, it is, you know, the favorite, if not the second, the favorite or second favorite for Best Picture at this point between that and everything everywhere, I think. Um, And so, you know, typically the director gets in there. Not always, but... um, yeah, you know, he Almost got in always, there. Though, he point. got in there for his last film, Three Billboards. So, um, feels like he's a little bit of an Academy favorite at this point. Um, sure. So he gets in there. Yeah, I mean, Ruben Usland is the surprise. Like, I don't. This guy has blackmail material on some people. Is all I can figure. Like, he's now won the Palm d'Or twice. Like, <laughs> people just keep talking about this movie. It's got you know getting nominated everywhere. Guy. Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, there were other directions, obviously, that they could have gone with this. Um, you know, I, I heard think, of Charlotte Wells. <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting, Scott. I was like, I, I wasn't even thinking about. Well, of, of course, you know, the diversity is part of it, right? Like, you know, like I'm not even thinking all, about that, though. But yeah, that all is part of it. but yeah. but yeah, but no, this is this is my point is I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about who were the next, who were the people that I would have nominated it set? And like almost all of them were like diverse directors, right? It was Charlotte Wells. It was Jordan Peele. It was like SS Rajamuli, Park Chan-wook, like all of these people. Sorry, I know not a diverse (laughs) person, but. (laughs) 
would you yeah, really have, anyway, would you really have gone for SS Rajamuli? Like I'm just like you're filling out your ballot. You would have put SS Rajamuli on the list. He, he I would have thought about it. No, sure, I probably yeah. would have put Charlotte yeah. Wells in that in that slot instead. Yeah, and I probably would have also put Jordan Peele before um, SS Rajamuli. Yeah. But like he's somebody that was in the conversation they could have nominated. Um, yeah, that's fair. And instead, they went with a not interesting choice, in my opinion. Um, I wouldn't. So. With that. I, even though I like Triangle of Sadness, I would not disagree mm-hmm. with that with that take. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, we we always kind of talk about this. Is it's like I'm not going to go come out here and say that there needs to be a quota, right? You need to nominate a woman director. You need to nominate a black Definitely director. Or yeah. That that's not the point of all this. But when you are choosing the five best directing nominees from a given year you are more than likely more likely than not going to hit a diverse director in there somewhere. And it would have been very easy for them to do so this year. And yet they didn't. And that's, those are the times when you have to question, like, what are their motivations here? Like, because it was right there. Yeah. It's weird because it's clear that the Academy really likes Ruben Osland. You know, you said it already, like, Either something about him as a filmmaker or something about his subject matter really seems to appeal to large swaths of the Academy. You know, there's this, I think there's this theory out there, and I know Amanda Dobbins is, is a big fan of this theory out of the picture that his films just really appeal to all the foreign, the foreign members of, of the Academy Awards. People in, you know, you know, Western Europe essentially really like his movies. And that's what sort of drives him to the to the forefront of that. I don't have an opinion about that. That may be the case. And if so, maybe that explains it as, you know, not necessarily some weird, you know, racial bias or sex, you know, gender bias in the academy. And it just elevates this particular filmmaker. Maybe that's the case, but I still think as a whole, it's, it's definitely a good question. And I think that question sort of rears its ugly head again in the best actress category where you have, um, you know, you have your expected Kate Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh, dual nominations but then the next three just start, sort of feel like total wild cards there is Ana de Armas as a as a diverse uh nominee and and but then you know Michelle Williams who it felt like was out of favor in this category pretty deeply ends up getting nominated and then probably the most uh talked about nomination of the entire Academy Awards uh of all the of all the award nominations released last week is Andrea Riseborough's nomination for two Leslie um People sort of just like, I don't know, tearing their their clothes and their hair out over over this Wearing nomination. sackcloth and ashes. Yeah, exactly. About how this could happen. Um, this this, you know, there's so much ink has been spilled over the last week about the grassroots campaign that she waged or that her manager and and friends waged for her to get a nomination. I think there are really good explainers about what's happened out there on the Internet if you want to go read exactly how maybe this nomination came to be you can go do that out on the internet but for our purposes and i think what's most in the conversation is not that again not that there's necessarily some racial or gender bias i think you could certainly draw that conclusion maybe but the fact that this nomination comes at the expense of someone like danielle deadweiler or viola davis um is you know is definitely something that's hard to not to not see now whether you go to the extremes of um, the director of Till, whose name is escaping me, Tende Chukwa Chinonye, or Chinonye, Chinonye Chukwu. Okay, Chinonye Chukwu, who really, um, you know, and I don't even say maybe understandably, really sort of was upset about about these events on Instagram. Um, 
you know, I don't necessarily see it from that lens entirely, but I think you can understand the frustration, especially when you have people like Michelle Williams and Andrea Riseborough getting in who I think give, I haven't seen two Leslie, so I can't give an opinion on that, but Andrea Riseborough was not in the conversation two weeks ago for getting a nomination. And then this grassroots campaigns happen. And then Michelle Williams was mostly out of the conversation. I thought that her performance was just fine. It wasn't even, it wasn't even the third, like it was maybe the third best performance in the film for me, um, but still manages to get in um, into the best actress category over Till, who, which was a movie that I liked less than The Fablemans, but thought the performance of Danielle Deadweiler was much superior to Michelle Williams. It, it just, it, it's sort of these like uh, death by a thousand cuts kind of feels like sometimes. And this is another, I think maybe a, an easy example to point to and show how, you know, there's, there's some strange stuff happening in the Academy to going back to what you were saying about, you know, choosing Ruben Osland as in the director category. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating case because normally we would sit here with this sort of thing and throw our hands up and say, well, how did this happen? Yeah. But in the case of Andrea Riceboro, we know exactly how it happened, right? Because yeah. we know about what her campaign was. Um, so it's a kind of look behind the curtain a little bit and, you know, the cynical among us, I being one would say that this just kind of exposes what we've always known about the Oscars, right? Which is that it's not necessarily about the quality of the film or the performances or anything. And I'm not saying that Andrea Riseborough gives a bad performance in the movie. I don't know. It's, it sounds uh, like she gives a really good performance in the film. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it's, it is about the campaign that you put on it is about the money that you have behind you. And in the case and the of Andrea Riseborough, it is about the people that you know. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I understand the frustration, certainly, of the Till director, like you said, at that. Um, I, I, would, I would maintain, though, that um, people are just giving the Oscars too much power, right? If, if we just stopped acknowledging... Us among like, us, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're culprits. But if the director of Till had just come out and said, I don't give a crap, like, who cares? It's just a gold statue. Like, that would have been more powerful to me than what she actually did. Um, yeah. What is, what has Andrea Riceborough done? We made, we made a movie about, uh, about, you know, a lynching and, and one of the yeah. most important periods of exactly. racial uproar exactly. in, in America. She made a movie about someone named Leslie. <laughs> Who cares? It's not even a real person. Who's Leslie? <laughs> yeah. Um, that would have been the best possible response, but um, yeah, you know, I haven't seen the woman King. I did see till I think she was, good in it like it's just a it's an oscar Beatty movie for me like it is just okay. it is pretty straightforward um so i have trouble like getting wound up about this whole thing i just think it sure. is uh fascinating the whole andrea riseborough side of it i know to be fair i had heard of two leslie i actually put it on my 2023 watch list a while back 2022 sure. watch list because um, she got an Indie Spirit Award nomination for it. And I thought, oh, this sounds like an interesting movie. I still haven't watched it. Um, maybe I will before the Oscars. But most people had not heard of it, obviously. It wasn't getting nominated anywhere else. Um, and yeah, in the last two weeks, uh, you know, I don't think we need to go too far down the road of is this ethical or not, which is sort of what the conversation has turned towards. Not even ethical, I did it break rules. I don't think the conversation is around whether yeah. it's ethical. It's did it break rules. Yeah, I mean, because again, I think this is not too dissimilar from what people have been doing for a long time. You know, also, I'm just more intentional. It's not a personal. I'm just not interested in whether it broke any rules or not. Like whatever. Yeah, yeah. but there are some issues too with the fact that like the first person I think who started this was Mary McCormick, who is the wife of the director of Two Leslie, I believe. Yes, that's right. And so there is some kind of like 
I don't know, some some sort of, I don't even know what the right word for it is, issues there with that, though, of like um, everyone being in cahoots, right, and sort of engineering yeah. this whole thing. Totally. But again, uh, the, the things that we don't know about Oscar campaigns past would probably trouble us as well, so... I mean, all the stuff that Harvey Weinstein did back in yeah, the late 20th century. Yeah, God only knows what he did on, like, Shakespeare yeah. in Love or something to get that to win over Saving Private Ryan. But, um, I mean, he's the reason why those rules exist, is, is my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But anyway, interesting yeah. test case. Um, I kind of hope that there are some limitations just so that we don't just see this happening every year, just, like, people copy-pasting on Twitter with, oh, like... Hell yeah uh you know where's the Mia grassroots Goss campaign for ant-man quantum mania infinity tool year. yeah exa exactly <laughs> like it's going to become a, a money and power thing which again Just maybe it has always boys. been to some extent but i don't want marvel thinking they have rights so <laughs> <laughs> that's i love how that's the final takeaway from from the, <laughs> from, from the two lessons. it all comes back to that scott <laughs> yeah Brilliant. Anyway, uh, Kate Blanchett's going to win the Oscar, and that's the correct choice. So. You think so? Michelle, she's got Michelle Yeoh in a, in yes, a headlock? she does. Okay. Kate, Kate Blanchett will win. All right. Anna de Armas, what do we think? People like Marilyn? I mean, I don't, I, I don't think she's the problem with that movie, probably, from what I have heard. So That's true. She's probably innocent. Haven't, haven't seen it. And Michelle Williams, you know, she has five nominations, so, like, you know, I'm not super surprised that she ended up getting in there. I think the sure. obviously Riseboro is the much bigger surprise. Absolutely. All right, best actor. Another case of, uh, like sort of like the director category, probably a case of four people you'd expect and one that's a bit of a surprise. Maybe Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for the Whale, Bill Nye for Living, and then. Uh, the surprise that you referenced earlier, Paul Meskel for After Sun, uh, our After Sun love has been given. Scott, uh, thoughts on the Best Actor category? Look, I've said all year that this is probably the weakest of the four acting categories. Um, not just in terms of looking at like the potential nominees, but just all the movies and all the possible performances out there in the category. It's just sure. not a huge category. We'll yeah. talk about it when we do our awards episode, but. Um, so I consider it a victory that they did get, spoiler alert, what I believe is the best actor performance of the year, which is Paul Meskel, as you said, in After Sun. Um, Scott, what, what is the deal? The Fablemans gets gets Michelle Williams, but, you know, we're going to talk about supporting actor in a second. Paul Dano doesn't get in. What What is the deal? Where is Gabriel LaBelle? Why is he missing? They didn't put, they why didn't is he put KIA? anything behind him. They really didn't. They That's just crazy. didn't put anything behind him. I, I think it's crazy, too, because <laughs> he's the best performance in the movie. But... Um, yeah, it is crazy. And then Tom Cruise obviously not getting nominated is a disappointment as well. Sure. Um, but probably was always going to be a long shot. Um, I mean, look, he probably Scott, sent them an email to be like, I really don't want the nomination because I don't want to have to show up at this award show and answer questions about signed about Shelly yeah, Miskovich yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and now her husband, who's also gone missing. Um, but um, anyway, the race itself scott i think it's gotten a lot more interesting because at one point it was brendan frazier right then it seemed like things turned towards colin farrell a little bit now austin butler He's doing the Elvis seems voice. to be the, the one who might be people. going yeah, yeah might be going to to nip in and steal this i say steal this although it is the most obvious choice out of all of them right because he plays a real person you win the oscar if you play a real person 
We all know this. Colin Farrell, not playing a real person. Brendan Fraser, not playing a real person. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, obviously, I'm not super enthused about that. I mean, I haven't seen Elvis. I haven't seen The Whale. You haven't seen Colin Living. Farrell is very good in The Banshees of Inishare. And to me, it's just like Paul Mescal. Paul Mescal should obviously win this award, but he's not going to. The nomination... No is the victory in this case. And Definitely. so I will just be happy with that victory and I'll just let the Academy sort out the rest of it in terms of who went. Cause I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, I think they, they obviously don't release the, uh, the placements of all the, uh, the different nominees after the final voting happens, but there is no chance that Paul Mescal is not finishing fifth in the voting yeah. Um, oh, yeah. in this category. <laughs> and it probably won't even be close, but you know, whatever they're all losers. Anyway, best supporting actor. Let's move on. Uh, Banshees got the expected uh, double nom in this in this category. That's Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keegan for their two uh, supporting roles. Judd Hirsch gets in for the Fablemans. We mentioned Paul Dano just a second ago, not getting nominated. Judd Hirsch gets his uh, his nine minute cameo, gets him into the category. Uh, the favorite is Kihei Kwan. Everything, everywhere, all at once, of course. And then Brian Tyree Henry, maybe the biggest surprise, bumping his way into a category. Scott, we've talked. I feel like for years on the podcast about Brian Tyree Henry being awesome and probably should be recognized for things. Is this like a make good on if Beale street could talk like what, what, like what is this nomination? I mean, I liked his performance in Causeway, but I, not even I was being like our boy needs to get nominated for this. Yeah. Interesting that, uh, you know, you have here, Judd Hirsch doing the one scene performance and getting in, which is exactly what Brian Tyree Henry did. Right. And if Beale street could talk, right. He had the one scene. He had only one scene really in the movie, but um, he didn't get nominated for that. He didn't. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, interesting contrast. Well, it's because it's uh, Judd Hirsch is a white guy in a Steven Spielberg movie, but that's fine. We can move, well, yeah. We can move past that. Yeah. Anyway, um, strange decision. But Brian Tyree Henry, I'm very excited for him. He's a great actor. You know, he had that, um, you know, big year in 2018 with Widows and If Beale Street Could Talk. And yeah. then... Uh, Last year with the Eternals, huge. We like, yeah, we tapped him to like, oh, he's going to be the next big thing, and then he just had a, you know, a, a series of bad stuff. Like, yeah, you know, he was in Joker for Joker. one minute. He was in Eternals. Yeah. He was in um, Godzilla vs. Uh, Kong. Child's Play, the Child's Play remake, which was fine, but like nobody thinks about that movie ever. Um, he was in Godzilla vs. Kong, if you remember. Yep, he was. He played the podcaster, right? I believe. Um, uh, yep. He was in Woman in the Window. But, he was the detective. Randomly. Oh gosh, he was. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Anyway, it was we're making this worse on it. But comes back. <laughs> I think he's really good in Causeway. I'm yeah. not. I just think the movie is whatever. But I think he's the best thing about it. Clearly, it remains to be seen. It could make my best supporting actor personal lineup. We'll we'll see. I, I don't know exactly where that shakes out right now. Sure. But I think he's very good in the movie. I I don't have him a problem with him getting nominated. Number one, because it's just because it's him. Number two, for the actual performance, either. Like, I think he is very good in the in the movie. Um, would probably be my pick out of these. Let me see. Yeah, I would. You're, pick, I, you're I picking think him so. over the over the Banshee Boys. Yeah, maybe Barry Key again. Yeah, might might I might, I might give the slight edge to him. And obviously, I do like Key Kwan as well. Um, in everything, everywhere, it's just like all him so like my attention has kind of turned elsewhere um sure. but you know again another fine category but a foregone conclusion that kihei kwan is going to win this maybe if the banshees uh team had put more um behind just one of their people then it, it could have been more but um 
Maybe. Yeah. There, no, no drama here. No, no drama here. Probably not. Um, it seems like maybe not any drama in the supporting actress category at this point either. Although I will say, rather than everything ever all into the Banshees having the slam dunk, even though they do sort of flip the coin here and have a double nom for everything everywhere and a single nom for Banshees with Carrie Condon there, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Stephanie Shu for everything. There is Hong Chow from The Whale, but the seems like the front runner who is pulling away from the pack at this point is Angela Bassett, which was the aforementioned nominee from Black Panther Wakanda Forever that you alluded to earlier as Queen Ramonda. Uh, feels like another thing that just like wasn't in the cards a month ago and just sort of exploded out of nowhere. And it just seems like everyone has said, that's fine. That's fine that she's going to, to win the award. And I look at this list, Scott, I'll be honest. I, I wouldn't give it to Angela Bassett probably, but it's it's not they they did not manage to find an an amazing five supporting actresses in this category for me if I'm being really honest about it, uh, which is a really good category, Scott. My long lists in terms of you know I just throw everyone that is in the category uh, you know has potential to be in the category for the various categories. I, Best supporting actress is my longest one, I believe. Like I have the most yeah. people on it in terms of potential and. Let me just look again real quick at the list. I think I have two of the people who are actually nominated somewhere in that long list. Yeah. Um, not even in my top five, probably. But that would be Stephanie Did You, you had Carrie Condon and, and Stephanie Shue? Carrie Condon, yeah. 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 Uh, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of baffling. Like I think Angela Bassett is very good in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Like I don't have any problem with this being the first Marvel performance to be nominated and with this being the one that's going to win, like fine. She probably deserves it. Right. She's been sure. uh, a quality actress yeah. for a long time. And maybe that is some of why people are getting behind her for this because and she has the um, best performance know. in the movie. It's not like they picked yes, like some random absolutely. performance in the movie. Right. Um, right. It is the best performance. Um, but yeah, they just didn't really pick anything that was super interesting to me, I guess. So, you know, the, the I am glad that Stephanie Sue did get a nomination and didn't get boxed out by Jamie Lee Curtis because she is definitely the better better of the two from everything everywhere, but it's not even close. Yeah, it's either. not by super interesting not super interesting choices, I guess, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more or less on the same page. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'd maybe give it to Angela. I don't know. Like, she's definitely one of the two people in this category that I would give it to, probably. But yeah, it's not. I'd agree with you. Just they've managed to really not make it interesting in a year where there were some really great performances. Uh, to be fair, even Michelle Dolly, Williams probably should be a supporting actress category, but that's neither here nor there. Even Dolly De Leon, who like was sure. kind of snubbed, like people are, you know, was one of the yeah. bigger snubs. Probably it looks like she was going to get in. Like that would have been a much more interesting choice than some of these people who made it in. Also would have been a, a, a better, I know that we're like, okay, well, I mean, m- maybe you're are not a fan of giving Triangle of Sadness another nomination, but that would have been a, a highlight that like, they like people besides Ruben Oslin, and that's why they're rewarding the, the movie as opposed yeah. to um, only rewarding Ruben uh, Oslin I mean, for the film. They could have simply yeah. nominated Hong Chow for a different movie instead the menu, of The Whale. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> she has so many to choose from. I mean, I, I guess technically did uh, the film... The showing her other up, film never I don't came. Think it, showing up never came yeah, out this year. That's going to be a 2023, um, I believe. I haven't seen the whale. I don't have an opinion about that performance, but she was good in the menu. She was good. I mean, she was good in showing up too. Um, very different performances. Anyway, Scott, that's the big categories. There are the screenplay categories. Um, I'll just run through the full list of nominees because we don't have to talk about it too much. But the Banshees and Sharon, 
uh, I mentioned, sorry, I guess I will say, I mentioned that the, the original screenplay category is the same as the director category. So you should be able to guess what that is without me reading it. But it is Martin McDonough for the Banshees, the Daniels for everything, <laughs> Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg for the Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness. And then, you know, ar- arguably, I won't say more exciting, but the more interesting, uh, unusually, is the adapted screenplay category where you get All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Ryan Johnson's sequel to Knives Out, Living the uh, English language adaptation of the Japanese film, Akiru, I think, um, the Kurosawa film. Top Gun <laughs> Maverick sneaks in with an adapted screenplay nom. I'm I'm just laughing because I'm just totally shocked that I ended up with, with a screenplay nom, not because it's not deserving, just I'm just shocked. I'm just shocked that that made it in. And then women it's talking. It's a weak year for the category. Sarah Paula, yeah. Uh, it is a weak year, Scott. I'll be honest. You talking about how your supporting actress long list was your longest one. Adapted screenplay. Like, I had to dig. I had to dig real deep for adapted screenplay um, on my list, much more so than usual. That's not, a, that's not a surprise, though. I will say usually the original screenplay is much easier to put together than adapted. But yeah, it was a weird year. Any any re, any like quick reactions to the screenplay stuff? Um, what is going to win adapted screenplay? I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. I, I honestly all think quiet. women talking, women talking, or all quiet might would yeah. probably be the two that have have a good chance. Like women, I think it really depends on how women talking trends now that it's yeah. it's releasing more widely. But I mean, all quiet, it's got some heat to get all these nominations. Um, I don't know how many it's actually going to win. Probably want to win most of them below the line, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, but you know, other than that, I think. Um, I mean, Todd Field should definitely win. That I, I feel like maybe that is where, well, I guess Kate Blanchett's going to win. I was going to say that's where Tart gets its flowers. But honestly, it, it might be McDonough instead. He, he, I was going to say it might be McDonough, and that might be the one award that Banshees gets. Yeah. Um, it, it, depending on if Colin Farrell can can pull out a win in Best Actor. Maybe it wins Best Picture, too. I don't know. It, it's interesting, but th- there's definitely permutations where you can see, like, Banshees ends up only with screenplay. Um. It wouldn't surprise me. I definitely think it should be Todd Field in this case, but maybe maybe everything everywhere all at once will sweep everything. Who knows? That would make for kind of a sad evening, but yeah, that's possible. Chaotic. All right, Scott, there's plenty of other categories that we could talk about, but I think we'll probably maybe press pause there. Unless I'll give you the second to say, are there any other categories you quickly want to mention? I mean, I'm just sad the decision to leave was snubbed for best international feature. Um, sure. You know, given that especially the Korean films have gotten a lot more recognition since Parasite winning Best Picture. I was very hopeful for it, um, but they went for five other films instead. Um, You know, I haven't heard anything about The Quiet Girl. Argentina 1985 was a Golden Globe winner, which kind of came out of nowhere. Um, You know, I have heard good things, obviously, about All Quiet, about Close, this Don'ts film, and then EO. But um, they could have found room for it. I really think that that's true. Yeah. RRR, of course, was not on the long list for this category. India chose a different film to nominate, so it wasn't possible. But it does get the Natu Natu. And is it the favorite to win Best Original Song? Yeah, I think I think so. And it's Sick. very possibly the best song in the, Yeah, I mean, it's the, clearly the best song in there. Uh, it, very cool to see the song from Everything Everywhere All at Once, though. I'd kind of forgotten about that song, to be honest with you. But David Byrne and Mitski. Of course, David Byrne does have an Oscar yeah. already. Um, but... Mitski getting an Oscar nomination, sure. I, just I'm, a crazy I'm combo cool. of people combining yeah. for a song too. We just had we didn't talk about that enough, probably. David Byrne and Mitski together on a track. 
and everything everywhere. All Both indie legends. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Alrighty. Where can you be found on the socials? I am at Scarby Dent on okay. all platforms. And you can find me at at Shelton2013 on the same. Don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon at www.patreon.com slash me to plug pods. Scott, we got a we got a new patron the other day, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, we got a second patron. Look at that. Um, wow. <laughs> I know, right? We're we're hundred percent growth well, week over week right now. So Maybe we can keep that gro- that growth going. Uh, if you can support us over there, we'd appreciate that. But if not, uh, that's okay too. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared on those platforms so we can continue to reach a broader audience. And we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about missing and uh, all these Oscar nominations. We'll be back next week with a review of everything we saw at Sundance. Well, not a, we're not going to review every movie, but we'll talk about what we saw at Sundance this year. Scott mentioned it earlier. He he's watched seven movies. I've watched 10, so we'll have plenty to chat about, talk about the recommendations, the things to stay away from, and we'll hope you'll join us for that next week. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. See you down the road.